Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 387 of the Sausage Factory. 387! Welcome. Sorry, I'm kind of losing it. I mean, at the time of me recording this introduction, I've just returned from, from Boston for PAX East 2022 and still a little bit jet-lagged, but hey, I'm here for you right now because I'm going to talk to you about this episode of The Sausage Factory which features Max Samarin of Iprox Games about their puzzle action-adventure game The Last Cube. I do like a really good puzzle game and The Last Cube is definitely one of those. It really encourages lateral thinking, spatial awareness, and all that other good stuff. It's really well put together. Oh, there it is. Take a drink, everyone. I've said it again, but it is true. That is why it is on the Sausage Factory, it being the last cube. So, without further ado, I'm now going to pass on to my past self, who isn't jet-lagged, as a chat to Max about the last cube. Non-jet lag Chris, please take it away. <laughs> take it away. Max. Hey, Chris. Hello. Who are hello. you? <laughs> Who are you? Well, what do you do? Uh, so, hello. Uh, my name is Max Samarin. 
and uh, I'm the creative director at Improx Games. And uh, Improx Games is a Finnish indie studio founded in 2016. And we just, one week ago, we launched our big uh, first big game called The Last Cube. It's a 3D platformer out on Steam and consoles. And uh, now I'm on this podcast, super excited to <laughs> be able to talk about it oh, and, uh, yeah as soon as also, i saw yeah as soon as i saw the press release i was like i've got to get them on this is amazing <laughs> go on right yeah and uh what i did in the game uh i was like this generalist kind of guy so i did a bit of programming uh but mo mostly game design so uh, right. game design is, is what i moved on to do more at the later stages of the game so mostly the puzzles and a bit of everything around that okay so how did you make your start making video games then, Max? Uh, yeah, I think like that's one of the dream professions I've had <laughs> as a kid. I remember I uh, first, um, I think I wanted to be a cartoon maker or, or drawer, and then I <laughs> wanted to do architecture or something. But then uh, I have I have plenty of like uh, old childhood notebooks with like drawings of levels. I just did, did draw drew a lot of levels <laughs> for for uh, games that did not exist or, or for games that did, did exist. So I think like there was always a small game developer in me. Uh, so how I then actually started making games. Um, first, I remember that there's this. Uh, app called blender where you can do 3d modeling and it also had a a game engine it's pretty rudimentary but but uh, uh, that's how some people got started and i dipped my toes in that and then uh me and two other friends Mika and oski we met in in elementary school like when, when we were like six or seven years old and and uh yeah, I think we, we all kind of wanted to be in the game industry <laughs> like ever ever since then. And we kind of imagined that when we'll grow big, we'll have our own company and <laughs> all that kind of cute stuff. And now now we actually uh, do, do have that. And we're basically making games with friends. Now we are a company of six friends. And, and uh, uh, that's what we're doing. And um, our first game was six years ago. It was a a game jam game called Trimmer Tycoon, where you trim beards and try to survive the ever increasing rent of your salon. So it's also kind of like a survival game. Uh, so yeah, we did that. Uh, it had pixel graphics and, and uh, uh, we ended up releasing it for free on Steam. And uh, after that, we ended up doing the last year. But yeah, that, that's how we basically started. Like. We just wanted to do games as kids and we met in elementary school or in later schools and uh, just started doing it. That's that's amazing. There's nothing wrong with being focused, even throughout your teenage years, which is hard. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of spare time in our hands. Like, we have, like back then versus now. Yeah, like, yeah, we definitely did have a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is back then uh, when you could actually... Games. Yeah. You could actually play long-form games like Japanese RPGs and it'd be fine. 80 hours, I'd be fine. It's just crazy. Yeah, like the, there were definitely some long sessions with World of Warcraft and uh, Rune 
escape and hold back the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you there. Always try to remind people that World of Warcraft is almost twenty years old. Like, no, like, no, 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 it is. That's no. crazy. It's crazy. It's like, really? Yeah, you can almost go to college now. Anyway, <laughs> um, so as a creator of things, Max, and you can respond to this as Improx Games or as yourself, but I just need to know. What are your biggest influences, do you believe? What is the thing that uh, you find yourself being drawn to and taking from to to create what you do? I think, at least personally, um, I just always like to create things. So be it like just drawing levels on a piece of paper as a kid or making music or drawing some other stuff. So game development kind of covers that need of mine. I, I think I also have uh, a, I was going to say mathematical mind, maybe I do, but like I kind of liked solving problems uh, to a certain extent and, and uh, game development has a lot of that. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's some internal motivators like that, but externally, um, I remember Quake 2 was the first game I played. So like that's how I started uh, drawing those levels in the notebooks and, and uh, imagining different kinds of scenarios and levels. And um, yeah, there, I would say there's lots of influential games. So Quake was the first one. Uh, I'm a big fan of RuneScape. Uh, still playing that from time to time. So uh, that also got me into like inventing my own games and and uh just as a kid like writing out on a piece of paper a huge lift uh, a, a huge list of experience amounts for <laughs> different levels it sounds like so boring and tedious but it was it was so fun <laughs> you have to admit and and like you unlock this thing and that level and this thing at, at that level for a game that doesn't even exist so so yeah like, runescape was a huge inspiration as well as world of warcraft and um when it comes to puzzle games, uh, I would definitely say Portal. Oh yeah, yeah, Portal, I, Portal. yeah. I just never forget. Remember playing Portal for the first time. The amount of times I had to put the mouse and walk away from the computer, going, "Sorry, this is too bonkers. That can't possibly work." And it does. You know, it's like, no, this breaks everything I know. But the, the whole spatial awareness stuff—you had to really everything had broken. It's like, where's the white surface? Oh, there it is. Right, how am I going to get there? <laughs> Portals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, for me, it was, was the introduction to the puzzle genre. I mean, yeah, there's lots of different puzzle games, like, like for example, Tetris and, and, and all those, but, like, this, this uh, sub-genre of puzzle games that Portal falls into, mm. uh, which is, like, well, let's say 3D games. There's some narrative, and they are also aesthetically very pleasing. Uh, and so it's like this cool uh non-abstract puzzle hmm yeah so did that, you ever play how... did you ever play portal 2 at all it's not a I did, I did, yeah, yeah that's amazing yeah. and did so, you play the oh, multiplayer at all over any time uh the which one the multiplayer the the um... yes yeah so yeah. Portal, there's the map maker and and the co-op yeah i did yeah i remember i remember i also tried like uh doing all of the co-op maps uh, yeah. as a single player. 
<laughs> I was like, is it possible or not? Then I remember like I figured out I could like use a chair <laughs> to see there so that we can collide mid-air and stuff. That's the one I was referring to because I remember playing with a very good friend of mine and when we got to that point and we realized what we had to do and he was screaming down the microphone at me, no, we're not doing this. Why? Because I don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah, a great this... moment of trust. Like, we need to slam into each other, otherwise we'll not get out of this. Yeah. I don't this care. It's really yeah. fun scenarios in that game. Very comical. Very yeah. comical. Very comical. But I can, I can definitely see the influence. I can definitely see the influence. So well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd say, I'd say uh, that's the influence that people... Well, well, it's one of the biggest influences that people will notice. Aesthetically. But yeah, Aesthetic, yeah, and, yeah, and well, the, I think like the biggest things is that's well, it's a non-abstract puzzle games. Both are science fiction. Uh, yes, both have, both have cubes. Uh, the cubes do quite different things there, but uh, but still, that's where people draw the association. But most of all, I think it's just caters to the same kinds of people. So people who really enjoyed Portal, Portal Two, and other kinds of uh, puzzle games, like if they if they're like looking for something new like a game in the same genre but with totally new mechanics uh i think i think we're like covering those people as our main audience yeah 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 so next question um i have no idea what the answer to this will be but here we go never do really what developer do you most admire in the industry and why That's a tough question. I don't think I have ever thought about that really. <laughs> um, wow. It, yeah, it normally stumps most guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I yeah I don't want to give an answer if I have like really thought it through like this. But <laughs> but I mean I I mean uh, okay, let's go with each software. Okay, it's software. Yeah. They well, there's the. Uh, nostalgia reasons is the, the the first game that i ever played or one of the first ones i think mm -hmm. i was like two years old i played it with my dad that's crazy right uh maybe it was dad who's mostly playing that i was watching but still <laughs> maybe maybe yeah so they yeah that company has a very cool legacy to work with mm. in games and uh so yeah i played played lots of those and um, Doom Eternal, like Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal is are also one of my favorite games of all time, Doom Eternal especially. And um, I just really like how those games really respect their legacy. And they are really like modernizing many, many aspects. So, so they're keeping all the good stuff from the originals, all the good old school ideas. Uh, but they're also like like a lot of things have changed in in the game design space over 30 20 years and they're like really utilizing those so they have just really grown as a studio a lot and they were pioneers in there and they're still like on the very front of what they do and uh i think the players can really see that they were always pioneers of engines even things that people didn't know about because they did um, Commander Keen, and that has a side-scrolling platform aspect on the PC, which you couldn't do 
you know, all the, the Amiga and the ST, the Tor ST, this is probably way before your time, but just bear with me. And this is like technology that they couldn't do this scrolling thing. But then, you know, Mr. Carmack come up with this idea of how to overcome it using some complex maths and modeling. Wow. I didn't know and, that. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, yeah, here we go. This is how it's done. And then everyone okay. else went, that's incredible. And they just sort of copied him. But it was just, yeah, it was a big, big change. But he's been pioneering stuff for decades and he continues to do so believe it or not uh but yeah i think going back to the quake 2 thing as well i still remember how much of a massive leap that was from quake 1 on you know when you think about the original quake that was more of a proof of concept when you compare it to the game that is and i mean is quake 2 uh and uh, they really just said okay well Almost, I'm not saying Quake was a tech, was a tech demo. That's 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 not fair and not true. I'm not I'm not as, as much of a fan of it as I am of Quake Two. Though I think genuinely Quake Two is a much better game and much better experience. You have a more of a guided sort of like purpose rather than oh let's go and shoot stuff. There's a, there's a weird demon flying around in the face for no reason. There's no context to anything really. Whereas in Quake 2, you were there as a Marine, dropped in and as in this drop pod. Things have gone very, very, very badly wrong. And it looks like you're on your own. Oh, well. You know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Think, yeah, I think I played Quake 1 only once, but I think Quake 2 was my go-to game. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. It's a great answer, id. Id Software. Uh, id yeah. Software. Hats off to you. Thank you for all you've done. And for and keeping doing it. They yes. continue to do, yes, absolutely. Like the, the stuff they're doing is like world-class masterpieces. Yeah, yeah. So, last question of the first half. Here well, we go. go. Here we go. This is a really important question because it demonstrates to me that you're not living in a bubble. Not like you ever would, Max. It's tedious and it's boring. So, what are you playing right now? Right now... Uh, so one hour ago, I was playing Doom Eternal. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the game was out two, uh, two years ago, and I still love it. So uh, I actually just moved. I now have a living room for the first right. time uh, in a very long time since yeah. I moved from, from my parents. So now I actually have this couch gaming experience. And, nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm replaying Doom Eternal with a controller from the very start. So it, wow. like, it adds more challenge to it. And, and uh, yeah, yeah it's a very nice to play a game. So uh, I'm playing that. Uh, Elden Ring came out, uh, <laughs> but but also our game came out a week ago. So so that means that I haven't had lots of time to play Elden Ring. Last time no. I checked, there was no. uh, four, four hours on my timer. So that's like uh, on yeah. the top of the That's of barely scratching yeah. the surface, isn't I it? I know. Like uh, <laughs> there was a headline with which said like. I just played 30 hours of Elden Ring and nowhere close. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, so uh, Elden Ring is up my list. I, I love the Dark Souls games. Um, right, right. I had like this love-hate relationship with the first one. Uh, yeah, well, Demon so Souls like, or Dark Souls? So I'm confused because I always uh, get, I always uh, like, for me, yeah, I'll go so, back to Demon Souls when I say, oh, that's a Souls. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I haven't played Demon Souls. I, re I really want to, but I, I don't have a Yeah, PS. yeah. Uh, so... When I heard that Elden Ring was going to be like a spiritual successor, like there's yeah. so much straight up Dark Souls, and I think that's no problem at all. That's what no. that's what I love about it. Like the main menu, the music, 
like the character styles, all of, all of that. It's, it's just screaming Dark Souls, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, so that game, uh, then RuneScape, still going strong. Okay. Yeah, years. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, there's two versions of it nowadays. There's the. Uh, it's classic, uh, and there's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. old version, and then there's the uh, uh, modern one. Uh, RuneScape 3, so that's the one I play. I think both mm. are great games, but like the one I, I'm playing with is like my original account, so that's why it's hard to yeah. let go. Yeah, hard to let go. Yeah, those are the biggest games. Yeah, that's the, quite a selection. I just finished Outer Wilds DLC, uh, Echoes yeah. of the Art, one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. How did is you that... find that DLC? I thought it was quite creepy. It was creepy, yeah. I. Yeah. I, I was not expecting that. And uh, I think that's one of the, like, when you go to the internet and listen to podcasts, that, that's one of the biggest topics people talk about, about the DLC. That, that, was, that was actually like a horror game. It's a horror game, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a non-official horror game. And uh, I'm not a horror game uh, player. Uh, I, I can't stand getting scared. Uh, but no. I think the fact that they didn't advertise it as a horror DLC was good <laughs> because then I got to play it. Yeah, like, yeah otherwise we'll be like, yeah, how about no? But uh, the... here we are. Like we have to do it until the end. Even yeah. the paintings uh, when you enter the well, I don't want to spoil anything. But no, no. Uh, it's, even it's... in the very beginning when you're looking at the environment, I was like, hmm, well, there's some creepy vibes. Yeah, yeah. And then when it gets really weird, and then it just. It just becomes more and more just, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it yeah. beautiful talking about Outer Wilds without spoiling? <laughs> you no, know, it's so frustrating. <laughs> happens and then it was like, you know, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's just like when you talk to someone about it, have you played it at all? No, I then I can't really talk to you <laughs> about this. <laughs> I, anything yeah. I say, anything I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that that was a, I mean, when we record the Kane and Rince episode 500, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the issue, issue 500, um, that was quite a moment, moment, a moment to do because we could let go because all the hosts have uh, finished the game and the, and the DLC and we, we could really expand and go to real deep uh, aspects of it but uh, not on this show everyone we don't do spoilers on the Sausage Factory we're here about design content is something you discover we're here about the engine not the content the content's yeah. really important and one doesn't exist without the other but we hear about how does this work? I was like very masterful at that. So yeah, yeah. it was exciting to see like how they keep their core ideas of yeah. discovery and and uh, like learning new. It, it's all about learning. Uh, yeah, learning about new things that are under your nose, and uh, it's very exciting to to. It was very exciting to jump into the DLC and think, okay, like how have they managed to do that? What new mechanics are there? And they, yeah, yeah. Getting to the DLC was a challenge in itself, but once you got to it, I mean, I love the fact that you really had to earn the right. You bought it, but you had to go out and find it. Like, oh, it's there. How do I get to that? Oh no, you know. And it's really quite, quite, you know, dangerous to get to. But once you do, you you can do fast travel to it and stuff. But you know, it's it's a problem. Anyway, I got better and better at landing on that thing. I won't say any more. So, um, and it's great that you're playing, replaying Doom Eternal because, like you, I played that on PC first because I always think Doom is a PC game, and I like the mouse and keyboard with that because yeah. the precision of 
the the rhythm of pointing and shooting. You know, you just point, what? point. Is there anything underneath your reticule? Yes. Well, shoot. If there, is there nothing? No. Then why are you firing? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's more fast-paced, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But when you have the controller, it's not as easy as that. You tend to pray, you know, spray and pray a bit when you're on the controller. I found it's annoying. Anyway, at least I do. Anyway, let's move on to the next half of the show, where we delve deep into the last cube. So, Max, in your own words, before we delve into the last cube, we need to know what it is. At least what you think it is. I know what I think it is. <laughs> but please tell us, what do you think is the last cube? I think the last cube is a game of uh, very delightful aha moments. So it is a game where uh, we give you lots of different mechanics to play with. We introduce new mechanics very frequently, and uh, you learn a new mechanic, you play around with it, and then we ask you to kind of show your mastery over it. And once, just before you're done with that, we sneak in the next mechanic. So we're always keeping you you engaged with new stuff to master. Um, so that's like the experience with the last game. The, we think it is, that I think it is. <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll let players decide for themselves. Uh, but 
overall, uh, the last cube is a game about a cube, uh, which, which you control. And uh, it's a cute little cube in a grid in a 3D world. Uh, you're playing in the on the cube planet, which is uh, about to be destroyed. There's an apocalypse going on, and uh, you have to walk through the path of puzzles uh, and uh, to restore your world. So that's the high-level story. And and um, if you want, if if you're one of those uh, people who really loves to go in deep uh, into the story, we also have those uh, lore entries sitting inside the game. So if you want to know about the background of all the mechanics uh, you, you can read to your heart's content. Uh, um, mainly uh, the mechanics revolve around stickers. So if your cube lands on a square, which has a colorful sticker, that sticker will be stamped onto your cube. So, uh, and you can roll your cube into, into other squares. Um, and uh, if, if you match the face of the cube with the required sticker, then that uh, square will activate. So, th so that's the basic idea that you will <laughs> also see in the game uh, during the first five minutes. And then it gets much, much crazier than that, <laughs> namely because uh, each sticker has its own unique ability. We have six stickers in total. And uh, one, for example, lets you dash forward one lets you to teleport across gaps. One lets you to uh, spin in one place. So uh, those are the the abilities that that your cube uh, picks up along the way. And I guess just the best way to <laughs> really see it, like it's it's hard to explain with words when we're talking about like this three dimensional puzzles. So the best yeah, yeah. would just be to, for example, watch a YouTube video of of, of somebody playing and and. Uh, or try yourself then you'll get the best idea but yeah it's a cube rolling and uh cube rolling puzzle game yeah yeah it totally totally is very very neon bursts of blueness and yellowness and redness and other colors yeah. you can mention yeah there's lots of contrasting sort of like dark sort of granites and glass yeah and, like we yeah the, all kinds of in, environments like uh, at first we have more more of these like Tron-like, uh, yeah, blue emission lines, and then then we we'll, of course have a lava world and yeah. and and, the, uh, and other worlds. So because uh, in the game, like I said, there are these six stickers, and each each represents the different side of the cube planet and 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 the parts of the world uh, where you find those stickers kind of represent that sticker. So you find the green sticker in the area, which is. Uh, which has lots of plants and life, and and the purple sticker is this mysterious, sh uh, more shadowy world, and uh, yeah, and uh, also a you note know, that even though I'm talking about colors like blue, red sticker, and so on, uh, the game is colorblind friendly, so each sticker does have its own uh, symbol, and and, and uh, so if 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 you can distinguish colors, like there, there should be no issue. Yeah, the game. yeah, I've got to applaud your accessibility stuff on there. You, you really went delve deep into that and tried to relate what it's like to have certain. It's really, really good, um, and that, that, that's coming more to the fore in game development. And that's thanks for helping out with that. That's awesome because lots of people like that, and the fact you can zoom in and out and stuff like that. It's really quite important, and there isn't tidy text anywhere. It's like <laughs> it's it's quite good. 
It's quite good that way. So, there are different abilities per sticker. And, um, as you say, there's six. I mean, in the sequel, no doubt, there's going to be an eight-sided dice. And then it's going to eventually reach 20. So, like, oh, there you go. Imagine... <laughs> a cube of 20 sides. Yeah, <laughs> not a cube, it'll be That's a D20. It'll be a 20-sided dice at that point. Oh, God. That'll be insane. Imagine doing levels for that. Anyway, yeah. so it's bad enough for six. But each, there are different, you know, abilities. And what's really important to note, everyone, is that you can have different stickers on different sides of the cube. This is very important. Because if that's true, then for every sticker you have, for every different type of sticker you have, means your cube has a different ability. So we'll talk about how that works later on. But how have you found introducing that to the those abilities to the player without mm. overwhelming them you know without what have, what, have, what have you done to make sure these complex combinations can be exploited and understood by the player so they're gently ushered into what is quite an extraordinary experience yeah essentially uh we're talking about me mechanic introductions and and uh Many puzzles in the game like are just exactly about that. So the point of a puzzle can be that, okay, we just want the player to learn a certain thing. Here's a new mechanic with you, and we want you to learn an, a very specific aspect of how to use that power. And how we do that is basically to uh, indirectly guide you through the geometry of the level of the floor that you're walking in, that you will eventually end up doing that or we make sure that there's only one way to solve a puzzle, and that's the way that we want you to learn. So that if you finish the puzzle, it means that, okay, now you have learned this thing. So in the next puzzles, we can be sure that we can require that knowledge from you. Uh, so we do that a lot, uh, in, in, uh, especially in, in the very beginning levels, like there's lots of new stuff uh, all the time. and. Uh, it's a very iterative process, so uh, I guess a quick answer is just a huge amount of play testing. So, like uh, after we've done all of the things that I just said, like we okay, we do the introductory puzzles, then we actually put it uh, in, into the hands of the players, and then they will be the they will have the final say that did they actually learn something or is it fun or not? And we had a huge amount of friends. Uh, and and uh, fans in our Discord to play test the game. Also, many friends like very early on, like many years ago, and that's how we uh, caught the many problems in the puzzles, and and we changed them a lot. Basically, I would say in, in uh, the first half of the game has been redone completely, at least once. Um, so yeah, we can theorize all we want <laughs> about how to make these. Uh, introductions to the mechanics and push players to learn specific things but yeah, uh, yeah. then you actually gotta go go and test it out yeah yeah exactly just find out it's what's worst could happen you know um but um still on the level design front there's some there's two aspects as well which we haven't really talked about is first of all the camera is entirely centered on the cube on the player that's quite important to know that you know it's not a static 2D screen, it's a 3D isometric, not sorry, three yeah. fully 3D realized world. You can rotate 
there's a third or well, third cube. <laughs> third, third, <laughs> That's third, right. Yeah, third third cube game. If, third cube uh, game. Yeah, and uh, so you can rotate around. You can move the camera freely available, but it's always focused on the cube, which means two things. One thing we haven't mentioned is there is some puzzles, not all. Certainly later on, there's some level of dexterity involved. Like you may know how to do the puzzle, but now you can have to do a sequence of things in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, the the, the door will crash or something yeah. or barrier won't lift. And you have a limited amount of time to do a thing. So that's dexterity. But in order to understand that and exploit that and be able to do that, and and again, many other games that I know, I think Quake Two had similar. Like you, you click something and it will reset until you found it and stuff. And I know Portal did as well. You had a timer before it kicked triggered. Mm. In order for that to work, you need to see it, don't you? You need to be able to see your path. So how have you found designing the levels and the camera so you reveal so much to the player, but not too much, so it becomes. You know, just a little bit. How have you found making sure that just enough is revealed without spoiling anything? Yeah. Uh, so we try to show as much of the puzzle as possible so so that you have all the necessary information to work with. Like the first thing we try to show you is the goal of the puzzle uh, so that you know what you're trying to achieve in the puzzle. Sometimes we do it so that... Uh, you actually see the goal in the very beginning, or the goal even is physically in the very beginning, like the like the uh, final button that you have to press, like you see, or you even walk over it right away, but you just can't activate it yet. So uh, that will linger in the player's mind. Uh, we also use these um, visual indicators of, of uh, if you press this button, what exactly will be activated. So you, if you don't see it, you can turn your, you can actually turn your camera that way to see uh what what it will activate uh but other than that um yeah uh sometimes the third person is a bit tricky like not not all the camera positions are ideal uh always so we kind of expect you to move your camera to to see to see uh all the things and um would you have some of those dexterity and timer puzzles i would say they're actually oh i'd say they're pretty limited uh most of them are are optional like like the challenge stuff yeah uh, yeah if you if you, if you want to do a level under certain certain amount of seconds uh so it's or, or to if you want to complete an optional puzzle for a secret uh yeah that's where those kinds of puzzles usually are uh and also how do we not uh spoil too much we basically make sure that there is enough space between the a current puzzle and the next puzzle. So leave some empty space there, uh, like a bridge or a corridor, or we add a teleporter there. That that's a very common solution for us, so that it's it's easier to compartmentalize and and not worry about what's to come before you have finished the current puzzle. And also like to reduce confusion on do I have to keep in mind that uh, a puzzle that I'm seeing next to me or not? Yeah. So. Modifying the physical space, like, like uh... yeah, yeah. It's um, it reminds me. I call it the Zelda model, where you can see something in the background. I could probably get to that eventually, but not right now. It's over there. It's fine. I'll get to it, possibly. 
you know and uh, zelda was, was built around that like you see something through the hedge you can't get to it yet why because you haven't got the special thing oh okay Mm. <laughs> but um but for me when i see games do that it's not so much like you haven't got a special thing it's that you know you you that's something in the future you will see it it's just making sure that you understand there's there's more to this game than meets the eye which is yeah. you know that's lovely we also do like we, we try to establish some consistency in those kinds of things so usually it's it's the same kind of button that um finishes the puzzle off so so you so you kind of uh learn to recognize it much easier in, in uh, after you've played a few puzzles that okay that's the final thing that they'll have to do uh to complete this puzzle yeah and there's also lots and lots of things that occur that remove your stickers i love that like oh you think you got this then they, they, they've taken all your abilities away that's not fair well this is the end of the world. Why do you think it would be fair? <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's yeah, definitely felt like a natural thing to include in the game. Yeah, like that, uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, stickers were the first thing, and then the water was the next. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, trying to avoid the water. Yeah, uh, yeah, because obviously cubes and water definitely don't get on. That makes absolute sense. <laughs> yeah. So my next question then is. I did. This did make me smile when it existed, and it, I'm, I, I'm convinced it came out of playtesting. But I may be wrong. I often am when I see this. It might be there from the beginning. But one of the things that the, the listener needs to know about the relationship between what I call the switches and the and the stickers. In order to trigger a sticker, it isn't. Sorry, a switch. It's not merely the case of the cube being sat on the, the That's switch. right. They have to then press the sticker onto, and with the right sticker, by the way, not any sticker, but the right colour and the right shape, or all the right shape, has to land on it. And I've noticed that when you... Well, I'm, I'm playing with the controller uh, because that's what most people are going to play as because I didn't use mouse and keyboard. I play the controller and... Um, you press, you know, press X and you see a little path. Because in order, if you've only got one sticker on your cube, then you'd have to roll your cube around until it's, it can be quite fiddly. Uh, I mean, you can do it, but it's, it's a fiddly. But when you press X, it just tells you a little tip. Like, oh, you can go, there you go. If you just do it like that, you, you'll do it. Why? Yes, let's talk about <laughs> the hint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. this question and, and, and it, it, uh, it comes up a lot. And, yeah. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that players uh, thankfully appreciate about the game. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, it's um, so basically what we're talking about. Uh, like you said, very often in the game you have to not only roll your cube in the grid into the correct square, but you also have to land it there with the correct face. Yep. And, and that can be quite hard to do, um, which is ironic uh, that it's sometimes frustrating because that's also the main point of the game like like w when we started this game that's all this game was about and uh i was actually just reading some old documents uh, about how, how we're making the game because it has been like now five years and don't remember everything so it was very fun to read so there uh there, there was like this funny sentence that we <laughs> We made a great game by accidentally first making a very frustrating game and then <laughs> <laughs> reducing the frustration bit by bit until it was very yeah. enjoyable. And uh, that's what happened here. So 
how we noticed that it was frustrating was uh, mostly in play testing. So when players tried to position their cube correctly onto the switch, uh, very many players resorted to just rotating the cube randomly until they got it right, which is uh, not the gameplay experience that we want players to have. So that happened a lot. Um, and it happened a lot with our audience players. So if it wouldn't be like non-puzzle game players who, who did that thing, then it would have been a smaller problem. But the fact was that a big significant portion of players who we are making the game for found that very difficult to the point it was not fun. And also in our inside our team internally, we also had trouble <laughs> with it. So uh, that was the point uh, where when we decided that, okay, maybe we should do something about it. And I just started playing around with the hint system. So uh, what you can do now in the game is that if you're near a switch, yeah. uh, you, you can press a button uh, on your keyboard or controller and it will it, it will show a hint uh, in the form of a line. Mm -hmm. And if you follow that line on the floor, if you just follow that line with your cube, you will magically uh, end up on, on the final square where you need to be and also oriented the correct way. Yeah. So what's, yep. that's what we give to the players. And um, I think one of the biggest theories at first was that, uh, so when the player has to do that by themselves, they're frustrated. If we give them a voluntary hint to do it, and if they choose to not use the hint, they kind of get this challenge accepted mentality and when they do it, it's more fun. So then yeah. that's, I, I don't know how much of that is actually true in the game. I don't know if that actually happens, but that, that was one of the theories. Yeah. Um, also, why we felt safe adding that um, hint was because in the end, uh, the game evolved during development a lot and uh, basically to the point where just merely running your cube around uh, wasn't the main point of the game anymore. So the game changer was when we added the sticker powers. So uh, a lot of the puzzles, like the actual puzzles are much more high level than just rolling your cube around. It's about figuring out where to use different sticker powers. How do I avoid that water? How do I hop over that bridge? How do I get my sticker from here to there while avoiding that? And uh, the actual pressing uh, switches with your stickers are kind of like the micro tasks that are there. So in the end, uh, we even renamed the hint. It's, it's uh, uh, in the final game, it's not even called the hint. It's called the cube instinct. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, we, we do that for the purpose that we, the game actually tries to encourage you to use the instinct. Uh, it's trying to tell you that there is no shame in using that. And we even remind you to use it uh, to make sure that you don't miss on. Uh, yeah, yeah. On it. I think the game could have been even more aggressive on that, to be honest, uh, because it does feel like cheating for some players. But uh, I mean, I have played the puzzles more than any other person on Earth, and I love using the hint all the time because uh, it also adds this layer of satisfaction, like when you actually follow that line and yeah. the, the magically I mean, 
yeah touches the switch and then that the, then there's the cool visual and audio effects like it feels good yeah. like it does, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah i do like the fact that for me it's a little reward like when you're close to a switch now you got a sticker there's nothing around here that's going to take that sticker away from you because trust me there's lots of things that are going to do that and uh yeah you once you go well i'm not going to faff around with this trying to figure it out why yeah, 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 that's actually true. Like when you when you mentioned, like it, it, I guess it is like a reward element. Like usually yeah, yeah. that occurs in the end of the puzzle after you have yeah. figured everything out. Yeah, you're in the correct area with the yeah. correct sticker. Now that's all, all. All what's left is just to press that final button. Yeah, let's let's have some fun. Let's press yeah. it. Have some big celebration. Yeah. And, yeah. And well, why why make you know why why make it worse for yourself? Just you know, because off you go. I I did it immediately. I thought oh, just because yeah. yeah. Also, uh, why like like another reason why we felt very safe adding the hint was because essentially the problem the player is facing is is that how do I walk onto that square uh, and how do I do that such so that I'm oriented the correct way? And there's actually many other situations in the game all the time, which is this, the exactly the same problem. And uh, for example, when you're using the sticker powers, to use a sticker power, you have to have it on your top side of the cube. So if you want to dash through a square hole, or if you want to teleport over a gap, you still have to figure out how do I, yeah, how do I get onto a specific square oriented specific, a specific way. Mm. Uh, usually, those problems are a bit easier. So uh, not it's not only one square that's the correct solution. It's for example a row of squares. Yeah. If yeah. you want to, for example, teleport over a gap, uh, like any of the squares on the ledge will do. Yeah. There's there's also a heavy mechanic that where you can actually share stickers with other cubes. <laughs> uh, so that's also like another another example of the same problem. I want to end up near that cube so that yeah. sticker is facing a, a certain way. So if we help you out in in at least a subset of those problems in the in the beginning of the game. Uh, like you will, st you will still have those problems later on, and mm. hopefully you will even build up some muscle memory on how to correctly orient your cube. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one of my favorite ones is well, puzzles is where you have to, like I say, protect your stickers. Like you use the blue box to rotate around and the blue cross, and like, okay, okay, well, right, they're on the side now, so I'm not rolling on them. So if I just go through this glass bit, it's fine because they can't touch them. It'll be fine. It's very early on. Don't worry, everyone. It's not much of a spoiler, but that's what you do. You just protect your stickers yeah. early on, and then you get stuff. So my last question. I know all good things come to an end, but here we are. The solutions to the puzzles in the last cube lean heavily into lateral thinking as well as place of reliance on spatial awareness on the part of the player, both in terms of the cube itself, its position relative to something else, and the area that they're in. How have you found designing the levels, knowing at times these can be in collision with each other? <laughs> there can be a conflict between you are driving towards lateral thinking while at the same time being prevented to, to exercise that based purely on geography <laughs> or geometry, I should say. How have you found making sure that those two skills, which are not opposed, but they are, they are very different, 
are mm. are are working together rather than you know how have you found that mm. yeah i think uh, well because very uh originally the game was only about geometry so it was it was only about rotating the cube and uh in the very original idea there weren't even even any sticker powers so the only way the different stickers different in each other was just the color and they activate different buttons and that's it so if it were just geometry it would have been quite boring yeah so so uh that's where we added the the other aspect which i guess is lateral thinking to be honest mm -hmm. i wasn't even, even even familiar with the term lateral thinking <laughs> 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 and, until uh not so long ago uh, yeah but i guess it means it, it means this uh thinking outside the box or, or like it's more though it's more like a sequential cause and effect you respect cause and effect okay to the point where everything you trigger one thing it then causes another thing to occur I see. I see. Okay, so that that's makes... why you've got this is exactly what you've got modeled in the yeah, last yeah. Okay. Cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i think uh a reviewer re referred to it just as sequencing i think we're talking yeah. about the same thing sequencing uh, yeah so yeah actually yeah the puzzles are very much about that and and um yeah i don't yeah i don't think we ever saw those things to clash uh i don't know if that's a good thing okay. or not thing the, yeah. the, the and the geometry didn't clash um maybe the fact that we just didn't think about it we just went with it and that's fine and that's it fine. somewhere good uh it's an so. emergent aspect of the experience because i just find it amusing that one point I'm going, okay, I need to put this cube here. Why do I need to put it there? Because if you don't, then it won't trigger the thing. All right. But then why can't I just put it there? Well, if you put it there, then that's fine. But now you can't get to that. Do you know what I mean? It's just so you're... Yeah, you're a lot of that. There's a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, and those know. are more interesting scenarios than, than I think just rotating the cube. Of I think course. It's, it's fun that we have both. Uh, that because, because the cube aspect makes the game and the sticker powers makes the game very unique i think yeah and we yeah. also have sequence and lateral thinking in in all kinds of games so this is like our our take on it mm. and, and but yeah like we definitely designed the puzzle with sequencing in mind so uh a lot of them are are about first we uh wanted the player to achieve something in the puzzle like we know what's the end goal in the puzzle right and then we as designers we just uh, figure out intermediary steps between that okay so that the player can uh press the final button first they have to do that so then we design that and, and yeah. then we put obstacles in the way and some sometimes uh, i think what you also mentioned that sometimes you end up in situations uh, as a player where you're like i want to do that but i can't because i want to do this and if i do that then i can do that yes <laughs> so, yeah yeah uh, i yeah i just just watched a video on that uh, on youtube i think it's called like the catch oh, i think it's a very suitable name i, yeah. I, I call it personally the compromise <laughs> so like, it's, it's like, like uh, uh as a player you have like this dilemma that you want to do uh two things in a puzzle but you can't do them at the same time so so there's usually some catch that you have to figure out how to get around that yeah so yeah uh, uh we we did that uh, a lot because i think that's a because those situations are the ones where the best aha moments come from. Mm. Like once you do figure out how how to how to do the thing you thought was impossible, uh, that's satisfying. And if it feels fair, like if the solution is something that you kind of knew all along, yeah, you you you, you should not feel cheated ever. Like 
like that's a requirement for it to be a a uh, pleasant moment instead of a frustrating one. Absolutely, and I think for me, one thing it sort of relates to, and I'm not saying it's like oh because it's a cube, but one of the old oldest cube that puzzles around is of course the Rubik's cube, and the thing about that thing is that yes, it's a very much a three D spatial like puzzle that's the point of it is that it's about the means the end is great but the means of getting all those six sides in the same color and the same sequence is that you have to break you have to destroy yeah you, know, you yeah. yeah you have to like when you see someone solve it and i remember solving <laughs> them you go well how look you've just destroyed you've made one then you've destroyed that side and like yeah i'll get there in a minute i've just got to track that round there and i'll push that's, it over now it's, it, now it's there that's how it works you have to destroy in order to you know so the the, the you know the means justifies you know, the ends to justifies the means you just have to do things like but that makes oh no it makes total sense i have to do that i have to do something that seemingly looks rash and stupid mm. and destructive that's the word. You know, the word can come with because ultimately you've you've kind of building up to a thing, but you have to then take something away in order to get to 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 create another series of sequence sequences to progress. And that's what the last cube's all about. They all about, but that's what that's the best part when you figure all those sequences together. And you just, mm. any puzzle game that makes you feel like you're a genius is a winner. And that's yeah, not easy. Cool. That's not easy to do. So well done, yeah. So yeah, thank well you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's very it's very cool. Like w how in puzzle design, like it's not only about the puzzles themselves, but you also have to think how to how to present those puzzles to the player in the correct order, so yeah. that so that if a player is 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 faced with a puzzle, you as a designer know what information and what skills they have at that point. So yeah. so then you make those interesting scenarios where the player knows what to do but they just have, have to figure it out and when they do it feels fair yeah. and it feels boring and it's not like this some weird ad hoc uh solution which is very contrived it does not <laughs> feel that that yeah. satisfying so the last cube then is developed by improx games it's a great name where's it come from improx games uh so originally I think it was a first-person prototype that I was doing in the Blender game engine like many, many, many years ago. Right. And uh, as a final result, I don't think there was anything else than just walking and jumping. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I just wanted to do something uh, in a very improvised manner. So I was right. thinking about how, how do I name this uh, file? And I was like, okay, let's do improx because it's improvised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's that's the first inst instance of the name. Yeah. And 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 uh, then uh, I was also doing a a a code library for for the Blender game engine to make uh, making games easier. I think I never finished that, but I also gave the name Improx to that. And then uh, finally, finally, uh, when when uh, it was a bit before Improx Games was actually founded as a company, uh, it was when the uh, uh, th three of our members, so, so we're doing the Trimmer Tycoon Game Jam game. Right. And we had to, we had to submit the game to the competition, uh, and uh, because we're a team, we had to figure out the name. So we're in the in the uh, hot tub, 
and, and uh, we're thinking about names and, and uh, Improx Games, I think, was one of those where somebody brought it up. Uh, why don't we just use that and we just kind of look at each other in a silent manner and then that's like we kind of look yeah. at each other and everybody yeah, yeah. knows. Yeah, yeah, this is the name. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, so nice. uh, that's nice. the, the story. Yeah, yeah. Could have been Yellow Pig. Hey, never mind. But uh, there it is. You went in Prox Games. Good stuff. So, yes, The Last Cube. Can you tell us what it's available on? What, what can you play The Last Cube on? So The Last Cube uh, launched a week ago, and it's out on Steam, on PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, XS. Uh, it's on Nintendo Switch. And uh, on Steam... Uh, which I already mentioned, uh, it's available on Windows, mm-hmm. Mac, and Linux. So it's on, it's on everything wow. uh, except mobile. And uh, it also works on, on the Steam Deck. Yes, there's a device I've pre-ordered. Well, if, you, if you have a, a yeah. device that you play video games on, you, you can buy it. You, you can play it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, really good stuff. And I really, I'm very happy that you said that it runs on different machines in steam and a lot of guests say oh, it's on steam and i have to tease it out of them say yeah but does it run on a, on my mac laptop uh no but in this case it does i can vouch for that but uh yes even my six six year old laptop can run it it's great yeah, but, i'm like super uh, proud of our team because we're like a small team we're six people so the fact that we did all, all of those platforms yeah. Yeah, the same, that, that's quite a yeah. quite an achievement for And even for the three people who own a PS5, I am one of them. It runs on that. <laughs> wow, how did you manage? <laughs> uh, that's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah, a whole different story about that. But uh, <clears throat> Max, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's been uh, great to be here, Chris. Yeah, really. thank you, thank you very much for taking part, and you're more than welcome to come back because we have repeat guests over the years because we've been going we've been going that long. So whatever next you've got cooking in your brain, I have no idea what it is, and I know you can't tell me. But uh, you, know, you come back. We'll be here. Trust me, we'll be here. Definitely. But thank you. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canerinse.com. <laughs>